and welcome to Business Without with me, Dominic Frisbee, and me, Andy Ori. Now, Andy Ori is partner at legal and accountancy firm Ori Clark, and in the course of his work, Andy made the observation that his firm acts for loads of really interesting people from all sorts of weird and interesting places and doing really interesting things. And he wanted to find a way to share all these interesting stories. And the result is this podcast. So, Andy, who is our guest today? Our guest today is D Code. He is a well-known presenter uh, currently on Soho Radio. Um, he was also a producer, and underneath it, he is a self-employed entertainer and a producer extraordinaire, Mr. Decode. I am so flattered. I've never been introduced like that before. Thank you so much. I'm all, I'm usually the guy who's doing the flattering, so uh, thank you. So my question to you two is this. Um, now, I should also mention that as well as being an accountant, Andy uh, has a music business and devotes maybe a third of his time to his music business. He has a record label. He, he, he produces his own music and also exec produces on other people's music. So my first question to you two gentlemen is this. As an ins- as aspiring musical artist myself, how on earth in this age of the internet and digital technology and the devaluation of content and all the rest of it. How on earth does an ordinary, like, and I get if you're a star, but if you're just an ordinary jobbing musician, how on earth do you make any money? Uh, Do you know what? That's such an interesting and important question, but I also think it's a question um, whose answer is, is constantly changing. I think right now, one of the main things every single person in the creative industry needs to know how to do is to adapt. I think, and and more so now than ever before, because traditional models just don't exist anymore because they're redundant. The world just doesn't embrace tradition the way it used to, Um, especially being a creative, um, being a guy who's in music. These days, it's just not enough to be able to do one thing anymore. I mean, I I came, I'm a 90s kid. I grew up on The Prodigy, Suburban Bass, Ram Records, um, which are all, you know, very, very big uh, establishments within the the jungle and the drum bass scenes and still are. Um, And back when I grew up, it was literally about being able to make one record get it signed, okay, not just one, but if you were able to make one record, get it signed to a label um, and give it about a three-month turnaround, you would see there would be a, a, quite a substantial ROI on that. If it was a decent record, of course, yeah. you would get your bookings. You would get on the circuit. Um, it was quite linear in that fashion. Um but it's the antithesis today. Like one record these days is just literally a, a drop in the ocean in terms of the level of impact. And I think the key word is impact. Back then, that was enough impact to make in order to um, generate your ROI, okay, to get your bookings, to make your money. So, but these days, it's just it's just not enough. You need to be able to do that and everything else simply because um, that's just that's the I entry mean- level now. I mean, on a, on a basic level, there is money in performance, there is money in certain things, but I, I think I think the question is is the sort of, you know, is your intention when you make music to make money? I mean, most people make music, most songwriters make music because they have to make music, and and 
Therefore, you know, by its nature, um, there's a lot of stuff coming out. I mean, there's a lot of people making a lot of stuff all the time because they're not making it necessarily to make money. So I don't know. I, have I this- know, but you still have to eat. And, you know, a lot of, you know, if there's a lot so of people, we can't, if, if everyone could be a musician, then a lot of people would rather be a musician than a street cleaner, yeah. you know, but, but not, and, and, and I get the artistic need, but, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, I, I, I'm one, I'd like to be a musician, I'd like to make music and I've had some success making songs, but there's, it's very difficult to earn a living at it. Do you know, one of the main things that's changed profoundly from back then to now is the entry level into the industry. Maybe 10 years ago, or not even that, maybe even, you know, even more recently. The entry level was so much more higher than it is now. Like the whole production process within itself has been completely democratized. Yeah. All you need now is a laptop, a bunch of software, mm-hmm. and you can get creative. But that surely is a good thing, isn't you know, it? Or, no, it's, it, it, it's fantastic. It's good, I mean, yeah. with everything, you know, health. there are pros and cons. But um, from what I when I remember first um, entering into the industry, the entry level was much higher. You needed a good four-figure sum to hire a studio or to buy equipment to then learn how to use the equipment to then make something barely decent uh, to get a person's attention to uh, maybe consider it for but that's whatever right. the, use. The, you're, you're spot on the money. The, Do you know the what I mean? The barriers to entry... The entry level is low. Of, of drop. Which is great. It's complete democracy on making music now, which is fantastic. But the byproduct of that is that there is so much well, more noise. Well, I would say it's not democracy on the basis that now it depends how good you are at That's my whole it. point. But the thing is, with that the level of noise, Mm. the increased level of noise Mm. from people trying has gone through the roof. It's like the signal to noise ratio. You've got your core signal, which is great. But the the, the the ratio of noise that it needs to fight through to get, you know, a, a majority attention is way, way greater than it used to be. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Is that just the way it is I right think, now? I think slightly the answer to your question, the honest answer to your question is the ability to be impactful. Uh, there, there's a very good example people were showing me the other day. And there's this, um, oh, I can't remember, it was a skincare company in New York. But they posted a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger saying, I love this skincare. Now, they didn't have his permission. They didn't have anything, but oh, you wow. you scroll through their Instagram account and you see that. Well, you do as me as someone who loved Commando, but you click on it and you're you're like you're like, what's Arnie saying? And he said, oh, he lo- he loves the skincare. And 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 really? this lady who knows this uh, company said, this is what they're brilliant at. They're brilliant at this engagement. That the fact, and it's true, they had me engaged. They had me. I'm telling you this story now about that's the I, art. That's the art. That's today's it's, art. It's not about engaging it's not about great music through or mechanisms. It's the it's it's the art of getting a person's attention. Engagement is an art that because the power to get someone's attention right now is so much higher than it used to be because of the digital platform. But the irony or the weird thing is, is to get someone's attention isn't to do what necessarily you think. Because there's a humble, we all got sort of insecurities and stuff. But actually, to get someone's attention, you do really weird things. The the clickbait, the stuff we click on. I saw one the other day, and he said, "Look at this Popeye's muscle. This guy in Russia injected." You know, I was like, I had to see this picture, and I had to click a lot to see it. It's a clickbait. The truth of what we want to see is not what we would we would put out as adverts, would it? You know, it's it's absolutely, absolutely. But you know, that can veer off into a completely different conversation and the point I'm making is that my understanding or even my perception of or even me just trying to be the 18 year old me who 
was completely fascinated and still is completely fascinated and obsessed with the art of making music mm. um, and trying to fantasize about, the, you know, making a living out of it in today's world, mm. considering, you know, all of this noise through all of these channels uh, 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 and trying to master that is just so overwhelming um, to the point where, you know, sooner or later, the reason why you entered that process is going to be completely forgotten about because there are so many other things you need to be doing in today's world to stay relevant and to have a chance at being successful. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So it's like mm. people enter the industry trying to be an artist, but they end up being, or their, their, their real level of success is being a great Instagrammer as the artist. Are you still an artist? That's questionable, but you ended up being a great Instagrammer or a great YouTuber. Most of the time, the, the actual, the art sometimes or the music that they intended to make first off is really questionable, but they've ended up being something else as a result of that process, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I, it's this really weird relationship between experience and provenance, between the the the, the, the who someone is next to, you know, how you perceive their art. And sometimes there's stuff that's shit, frankly. I mean, I I, I use this rule. Um, I worked out that, that, that people I really respect like bands that I think are shit. So they were The Clash, The Beatles, various bands. When I was 18, I thought, well, I don't get what the big thing is about. But then each of those, I sat down and I made myself listen to an album that people would write. So Beatles was Abbey Road, The Clash was London Calling, you know, and you listen to this thing over and over again and you think, well, I don't get it. But because people respect it, you keep, and then eventually what happens with The Clash, you know, and London, you just like, oh my God, because what put me off was Joe Strummer as a singer. The Beatles, what puts you off is the, their, their propagation into pop culture that ju just seems like they're this overly saturated, cheesy Liverpool band. And it's like, sit down. And so the... The if if someone tells you something's good, what I've proved, and I, Bob Dylan was another person. You know, he didn't sound like he could sing, but you know, I, I listened to an album enough, and now I would rate it. So, and that just shows me how much time it took to invest into something before I liked it. I still don't get it. Yeah, Bob, Dylan, Bob I just, Dylan, I just don't get him. Oh, but, um, uh, don't call me, uh, don't think twice. You ever heard that song talking about his girlfriend? I mean, that, that's a fuck. Well, I tell you what, when I went through a divorce, I don't even know what happened. that song is. Oh, that's right. how you ignorant don't, you I don't know. Well, it's just one of those things. I, I think I just go with sound and freewheeling Don Bob Dylan. No, it's, worth, okay. it's worth a listen. And I'm lyrics. sure I'll check it out again. I would say Bill Withers. Bill Withers is a. You, you keep bringing up. Well, I do keep thing. bringing up Bill Withers. I'm just the Bill Withers champion. You know, you think of all the great, you know, soul artists from that period in the 1970s, and it might be James Brown or Marvin Gaye or Stevie Wonder, but Bill Withers has produced three or four of the greatest songs ever made. Of the greatest songs ever, which I just think are better than any of the songs any of those other mm -hmm. guys did on a song-by-song -song basis. A bit like Stevie Lovely Wonder. Lovely Day, though. Just the Two of Us, Grandma's Hands. They're just beautiful, they're works of art. And, you know and, you know, he's never, when you talk about people who love soul and they love funk, they never cite Bill Withers. And I'm like, he was the best. I think that's he a really interesting point, though. I think, okay, it, in my head, just listening to, like, where this is going, I think there's been one quite important point being brought up. Back then, if we just put that in inverted commas, people were becoming artists for the sake of the love for the art. And then if it worked out, they became popular and successful. And 
But as a result, still were always remembered for that art, like The Clash, like The Beatles, like all of these, you know, seminal, legendary you think you're bands. You're suggesting that it was... It no, was... but today, today, I think the agenda's different. Mm. People have a completely different agenda. Yeah, your 16-year-old kid probably still, you know, probably wants to be an artist by today's definition, but also wants to make money. And the reason why I'm saying mm. is because I, I can't imagine making money being the absolute priority in John Lennon's head. I mean, I would almost say this to someone, and it's a real irony, is if you really want to make it as a musician or whatever, it, total commitment. No, I mean, commitment, but... I, I, and, and as a result, you're choosing it as a career. Yes. And as of what's changed in the country from when the Beatles were around, it's no one fucking took seriously that a band can make money. I remember in 2001 going with the Department of Trade of Industry with Phil Pass and Big Up Phil, you know, with the music tours and when they would take music companies overseas. And Phil, who works for the government, would make these great stories. He used to work at EMI. Correct me if I'm wrong, Phil. And, uh, uh, you know, he would say, music is the fifth largest industry in our country and no one take, no one even treats it like a business. And, 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 and this is in 2001. And I think there's still a shift going on that we're like, now, if your kid says to you, I want to be an accountant, you should be saying, no, you don't. You want to be on YouTube. You want to be exactly. a musician. Because we, co we come from a rebellious little island that we're fucking good at creative stuff. We're very good at creating rock stars. I mean, look at the top 50 bands of all time. Now, there's more American acts than anything, but you look at the top 50, it's, it, I think it's more than 50% British eyes. It's, you know, name them, yeah. BG, yeah, Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, we do the big boys and we're very good at it. And Jimi Hendrix would be in the list because people come here dangerous. Mouse did the same. He yes. came here to make himself. And we're like a little, we're like Florida for music or something, you know. It, it was sort of the... the, the yeah. But if, we start, so if you start having government involvement and subsidising no, no, the music no. industry, you'll kill it. Well, they, yeah. It's got to exist on its own two feet. You look at all the subsidised art forms, theatre, um, uh, yes, theatre is oh, subsidized. It's massively subsidised. It's crap. And it's, it's is it either. Crap? I think the theatre industry is incredible. Yeah, it's either musicals, which, you know, high scale musicals, or subsidised stuff that's coming via the National Theatre. There's very little in between ground. You look at ballet, you look at opera, it's all so elitist. And then you look at the oh, one on, unsubsidised art form of, of that music kind of, comedy. Is stand up comedy and music. And they're the two that are growing. Because we're the, we're the it, there's a survival of the fittest. And if you don't, maybe you don't have the willpower or the might meant rental strength or maybe you don't have the talent or whatever it is you get weeded out but you know audiences pay for it and it exists comedy on its own is a great feet. example of comedy an is... because it's gone and i only know this from listening to other conversations that it's gone from something that people very few people made money out of it to a serious multi-million pound industry in this country you know yeah well people have always made money out of comedy but they just haven't realized that it's been Even considered risky a uh, hundred years ago sure you know, the great the musical artists you look at doily cart was one of the rich people in the country put right. on all the Gilbert and Solomon stuff yeah. you know entertainment's always been big business laughter's a basic human need like eating and drinking and, and going to the loo and stuff people have always made money out of it I'm, I've got two little stories that I want to talk about I'm just trying to work out which one to talk about first but so <laughs> the other one the other one okay so my daughter is a very good clarinetist. She's 15. Uh, she's like the youngest person in her school ever to have got grade eight. Um, and she's got a place at the Royal Academy of Music. And she's also very good at the violin. I think she's got grade seven violin. And she's quite a good keyboard player and she's an okay singer. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, so she's really but it's sorry all... if you're listening to this. You're, you're an excellent singer. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, but no, she's a good singer. She's, I mean, she's in the choir and she sings solos and stuff, but she doesn't regard herself as a singer. Put it oh, that way. Fair enough. Um, you know, but she's a talented musical young girl, classical. 
And, um, you know, she follows the work and she knows who all the great artists are and she follows them all on YouTube and all the rest of it. And core blimey, she dedicated to her craft. Now, we were recording a song the other day and my daughter was at school and there was me and uh, the sound engineer and a couple of musicians and we needed some violins in this song. And, you know, my daughter, we could have easily called up my daughter, got out of school, she could have come over and played the violin or we could have got a violin session player, whatever. It was just quicker to get violin sample into the keyboard and just just play the this violin song by on the, the democratization of the whole process. It was just it was just quicker and it's better, quick. and it it and it's insane. And I'm though, sure, isn't it? a really good musician could hear that it wasn't a problem. And I bet violin. your daughter felt really intimidated by the process. No, she didn't. She didn't even know we did it. Oh, <laughs> do you know <laughs> what the, I mean, though? Right? Yeah, but yeah. I mean that. So, but so that technology has made her skills that she's spent, you know, slightly redundant. 14, yeah. yeah. If anything, completely redundant. Uh, she's going to end up being a better music programmer based on the knowledge that she's accumulated from learning than being a performer, unless she becomes a session musician or a really famous violinist. Yeah, that was the thing. The guy who played the you know keyboards I mean? could actually play the violin. Okay. So he played the, the violin. He knew how to play it as though a violin player was playing it, it, if that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but even so, she, unless she becomes the best clarinetist in the world, whoever, you know, the guy in New York who's, who everyone comes to see, you, you know, we, she, we, we took her to see um, something at the Barbican, some Vorjak or something at the Barbican. And, you know, you saw the people in the orchestra and you saw like, you know, three rows back in the violin section. And you could see they were all brilliant violinists, but they're never going to, they're all, that was like the pinnacle of their career, being mm. three rows back in the orchestra but, at the Barbican. What, what and they're probably is... getting like 150 quid for the gig or something. And that's it. I, can I say something? Expenses I it, included. Do we, do we enjoy gigs i mean do we in i honestly i could think of a couple of gigs that i really enjoyed james brown i saw in brighton the essential festival i will never forget it i lost my bag i couldn't i didn't give a fuck about anything i walked in a room and he was carrying a woman doing his it was incredible i was utterly spellbound but he is one of the greatest entertainers that ever walked the earth that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I can think, I thought the Beastie Boys were all right and the stage spun around at this thing. But my point is, is even, I, I, actually, the Royal Opera House is, is somewhere that's impressed me because the sets are just fucking unreal, man. They they do it incredibly. I've seen a few things there and and, and, and I'm very impressed. But my, my underlying point is, is that we value, we, we put all this value on experience and everyone wants to go to the show and everyone's got their mobile phone out and there's a thousand people videoing it. But I don't really understand if anyone's enjoying it. A, we're standing, B, it's cold, C, the music doesn't sound as good as it did on the record. It's loud. It's loud. I just don't understand. I, and this is, you know, it really interests me that it's sort of now people are eating out and, and drinking at home. And it's like, well, no fucking wonder because it's better at home. Listen. I know. My theory is it's the problem is amplification. And I think if the often if you listen to acoustic stuff... Quiet. No, the problem is is it's too loud. And if yeah. you listen to acoustic music that's not amplified... Well, in hip-hop, there's a band called Fruit Loop or something. They're from Sweden. But the only time I've seen someone do it well is during the raps, they turn the music right down. And then you could hear the guy and you could hear the words. And suddenly you were like, oh, it's really quiet in the room, but you could focus. And it was... There's a, and actually, spoken word. I really like spoken word. I would yeah, like to you do more of it. You look at Noel Coward and Gilbert Sullivan. You hear every damn word. 
And that's why they're, they're so quite good. Quiet. They're quite quiet, you think? Or? Well, Noel Cow no, Noel, Noel Cow would have used a microphone, but Gilbert Sullivan, when it's done now, it's done by opera companies, and so all the words get lost. But when actors were performing it, you know, proper old stage actors who made sure they were heard at the back, they had to be heard, because if, if you're not heard, the audience doesn't hear you, you don't get the laughs. Yeah. It's one of the disciplines of comedy. It forces whoever's, whatever I mean, the media is to, like, to, my, to the question clarity. The is, is there's such comfort in the home and there's such good quality yeah. sound systems now. Wow. And we, we, we're, from the history, we have that, oh, we don't have a, I don't have a stereo. They weren't invented. So I had to go and watch this clarinet player. It was fantastic. But now it's like, no, 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 I got this fucking stereo and I can download it for free. And there was a brilliant guy talking about the Rolling Stone. No, sorry, a comedian talking about when he went to see Rolling Stones and he was saying, you know, and I was looking forward to it and I, he was an American. He was saying how great it was. And he said, but nothing, nothing was better because they left slightly early and they got the car. Out <laughs> the car apart. He said, nothing was better than hitting that motorway just a few minutes before everyone else. And just feeling the exhilaration as we drove off and heard them play the final number. Anyway, so Festivals are all part, they're part of the same live music bubble. But my kids are now like 19 and 17, my eldest two. And you can't stop them going to festivals. And I'm going, festivals are shit. Do not waste your money. But they just won't have it. But I'd be fooled into it. I'd be, I first fooled into it recently. I mean, I performed at Boomtown. It was very nice. But I went as a tourist to Boomtown. Mm. And it, it, oh my God, it was terrible. I've I got one word. From my personal opinion, from when I used to go to festivals pre-digital era to going to festivals post-digital era. What's digital? What do you mean by... Okay, so this is what I mean by... 2000. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say like 90s, bleeding over to 2000, mid-2000. You know, going as a... Have I ever been as a punter? It's mainly been as a DJ, but still as an observer, you know, whatever, in whatever capacity. I think there's one word for me personally, uh, which sums up is desensitization. And what I mean by that is I remember when I bought an album from an artist who I thought was fucking amazing. And all that was on the front cover was their, their logo. And I was just fascinated by the person behind that logo and behind the person who made the album. Which I knew, I knew the... nothing about this person, but yet the music has completely changed my life and just blown my, my head off. And the only way I'm going to find out about how this person looks and sounds and moves is by going to see him or her in concert. Right. That's disappeared now. Yes. That because of YouTube. Within that process, there's a, there's a, there's a sensation, um, which to me is, a, it's a currency. There's a, there's a massive value attached to that process of sensation of going, yes, fucking hell, this is sick. Well, <laughs> Who we, made this? Well, you could, I could rewind that going, further. I could say a hundred years ago, you could only see them live. There you I go, could say, right? Exactly. I could say 30 years ago, there, was no, there, there was no YouTube. There's there value was no way, that. as you say, some albums just had a logo or yeah. half a picture. The Prodigy so experience. To see, to see them live. When they first meant, dropped, meant a right? lot. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's just a logo. But the point is, is, is there's something about looking forward to stuff, you know? And so live gigs, I think they live on that base that you're into a band and you feel, how can I give more? Maybe what we've got to get into is Patreon. Maybe we've got to get into more of this concept that, because because I almost buy the ticket because I, well, the tickets I buy now for rappers that technically I really respect. So I get a little song kick of like, and I'm like, I've always wanted to see that guy rap live because for me, I want to analyze how he does it. I want to see how he breathes. I want to see how he performs these things. See what I rate him here. Is that a studio thing? You know, and and, and that I do enjoy from a technical point of view, but I'm 
really there as a technical observer, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm not there to appreciate his performance, even though I'm a fan, I do a little bit, but I'm mostly, my jealousy is driving, you know, it's that, it's, it's the thing of like listening to Eminem rap. It's like, no one ever talks about Eminem and no one talks about Eminem because he's so much fucking better than everyone else. And it's like, you listen to Eminem and you're like, fuck, there's two feelings going on inside me. One is to give up rapping and the other is, my God, I'm inspired. Who's, a- who's the best rapper now? Um, Everyone would say uh, people like Kendrick Lamar. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, I thought Rodney P. I'm who, writing this who, down. said this very How well. How do I spell Kendrick? Ken- Kendrick Lamar. Mm. Rodney P. said because I said I don't get it. Rodney P. said, "Don't worry, I don't get that, it either." That, and he said, "You got to understand that he is, you know, the, the the for this generation, they haven't heard a rapper like that, and he's doing something." So for us, it's like, well, he's not better than Rakim or Big Pun, but for them. It's a better thing. Who's the great, who's the best rapper now? You could argue British people. I think, you know, I think you could argue also Wiley, I think is a, an amazing rapper. Ocean Wisdom, I think is an amazing rapper. Dave, he's a dickhead, uh, apparently. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to make a point. Dave with Psychodrama is absolutely monumental. He's fantastic. He used to be known as Santan Dave. He's now just known as Dave. Uh, and... I know, it's great, isn't it? No, no, the thing is, I think... Santa He used to be called Santa and Dave. You didn't know that, right? Fun. Fantastic, isn't it? What a great Ned marketing West. strategy. But no, no, but even, even more of a genius evolution of his marketing strategy was just devolving the name down to Dave. Like Dave, he his lyrical content is amazing. But, but you would, the thing is, there's a catch. Only if you get today's street language, you need to be... Semi-educated in the way the next generation speak in order to understand what he's saying. But if you manage to reach that click point, if you manage to reach that click point, you will understand the genius within his lyrical content, which is You regard him as a, you know... I think he's great. I think think he's a better MC and Eminem is almost annoying these days. I've I've got to draw a line between UK rap and US rap. rap. Because to me, I don't actually think US rap music exists anymore. It just doesn't because the majority... Well, it's a harsh way of saying that it's lost its way. 100%. It's it's the antithesis of well, what par- rap- par- par- partly because they started first, no, no, so the, there's a lot of fraction going on. London has really found its sound, but I would say an irony in London music uh, that pisses me off is that we may have found our sound, but we lost our voice because people have disagreed with me. People have said, oh, this, you don't understand about poverty and stuff. It's like people are talking about beamers and sex and their power. And it's all these American dream. We're talking the language here. We're talking like Biggie Smalls talking now. Talking American language. We're talking American, language, but we found our sound. Now, if you go rewind 10, 15 years, UK hip hop was a very sweet and noble cause that I was part of as well. And, and, but no one brought it. And, you know, Chester P., you know, ta- you know these lyricists, this English sound, this thing, and it still exists. When high focus have taken it to this level, it's very interesting. But what's happened is grind this, this, this Jamaican influence, this, this uh, council estate, this, this sort of gr- this, this, this Wiley, this little crate, and it's an amazing sound. It's an amazing energy, and it's a fucking. Uh, you know, we should be very proud of it. But to me, and I wouldn't, I'm not, not regarding even Wiley in this, but the sound now, it seems the lyrics now seem to, sorry, not the sound, the lyrics now seem to be very. You know, I got 
I got, I got this. I got, you know, it's, it, it's very materialistic. It's very American in its, its, its attitudes to sex. Or, but, but it's not to me British. It's not actually what English people as a whole, British people as a whole are quite prudish and quite, you know, but, you know, I'm happy to be struck down for it. But I think we've lost our, we haven't, we've lost our voice somewhere in the process. We're not, we're not talking about driving, you know, a Ford, uh, a Ryan or whatever. Just talking about like the reality of existence is not, we are not a glamorous country. I, my brother married an American. She moved here. Bless her. She, you know, she like all Americans were like, my God, it's small and poxy here. Yes, it is, you know? And they're like... Do you know what? Uh, this goes back to the point that was kind of uh, trying to be made at the beginning. You were the, trying to make That or, I was trying to yeah, make at the beginning. Want, yeah. The point is, it's just like, okay, what, when you, whenever you get into anything which is message-driven, you're trying to influence people with what you're saying... Um, and what you're doing, whether it's through music or through comedy or through film. And the mechanism to influence people now compared to then. And you know what? I've just realized like we could, we're going to sound so old on this podcast by comparing now and then, but it's just true because right now we're experiencing. Speak uh, for yourself. Uh, no, no, we're quite, no, we're, for all, we're experiencing a shift which has never happened before in human history ever like the whole kind of like analog to digital realm this has never ever happened before in, in human history so that's why it's such a fundamental point to actually i suppose consider from a point of importance it's like the mechanism to be able to influence people has grown exponentially i can influence someone if i create the right content right now on my instagram regardless of what my intention was when i first entered it if i'm able to make the right content for now i can influence people to the hundreds of thousands and, and i think just the idea of being able to gain that much power has completely um tempted people into changing their ways to claim that power. So what I mean by that is if you listen to a lot of the music that's made right now, just to get the views in and just to get people's attention at the cost of the quality of the music, it's ridiculous. And to me, that's just, that's a picture of the way the model works today compared to the way it used to, if that makes sense. So what do you think of that guy, um, Jamal Edwards. I think his name's Jamal. Uh, the Do guy you know who started I mean? SBTV. Yeah. I think So what's his story? I just think he's a very, very... If, if he, he's well, a great well, 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 example well, of an entrepreneur. Um, so uh, Jamal Edwards is the guy who started SBTV. He was oh. bought a video camera by his parents whenever it was. Um, and he essentially just started recording his mates who were all aspiring grime rappers um, in car parks spitting their lyrics. But this is when YouTube was um, still underrated. Um, so he was very smart. He was an opportunist and he was an entrepreneur and he just completely pounced at the right time. His timing was fantastic. And so did he make his money initially just from repeat views on YouTube and advertising? Well, Google end up, ended up buying SPTV, so he's oh, now a multimillionaire as a result. Quite... So, but the, the, the thing is, this to me, this is the point where anyone who's doing anything entrepreneurial always ends up capitalising. He got his timing right. Oh man, this is all mean, about timing. Books it doesn't matter about, about how good you are yeah, um, no. or what your legacy is about. If your timing's wrong, yeah. you will ultimately fail. You know, like you know? all the, the the all the richest guys in Silicon Valley, whether it's Bill Gates, all or, about timing, or they were all born between 1955 and 1957 because basically it meant that they were coming of age and leaving uh, you know in their early 20s late teens just at the time that computers were taking off oh, right. so Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and all, all these 
others whose names I don't even know. They were all born in this tiny time frame. And I'm afraid the same thing happened with Bitcoin. If you think of the Bitcoin gazillionaires, they were all just guys who happened to find out about it in 2011. But, you know, the, the point is, is we, we talk about hard work and, you know, it's very rare that people do get incredibly rich without doing some kind of hard work. But boy, do we underestimate what a big factor luck is. So um, as we close, uh, uh, let me say thank you very much to Dee. Now, Dee, why don't you plug something that you're doing? Um, I'm, always doing, media I'm always doing something, Dom. I'd, I'd say the best thing to do is just to follow me online, uh, which is at official decode, all one word, and it's completely official. Uh, check out my website, which is https semicolon forward slash forward slash d dash co dot de, which surprisingly spells decode. Uh, you see what I did there? Yeah, very clever. See what I did there? I always wanted to buy, so that's Germany. And if you look at um, uh, Italian, the Italian one is .it, right. and I desperately tried to buy fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you but got it. But it's already oh, gone. I think it's already gone. It's not for sale, oh, but I tried to register, man. and uh, <laughs> I always thought that'd be fun. Anyway, D, Andy, see you next time. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you catch the next episode of Business Without <laughs> Until then, from Andy Uri and me, Dominic Frisbee, it's cheerio. Thank you.